Frenzy shopping period will open in a few days, but our LA Kings went shopping a few days early and landed themselves a pretty big fish. How are you today, Vardy, on this fine day, episode 24? I'm fantastic. It is the Alexander Frolov episode, and it is only fitting that we celebrate uh, another Russian winger coming to us after a, oh, I don't know, decade-long flirtation period, it seems like, that included, you know three different cities in two different countries and whatnot. It's yeah, nice. it's funny. I was listening to 31 Thoughts with Jeff Merrick and Elliot Freeman, and Jeff Merrick had a great line that this was the longest, if you can't beat them, join them play of all time, <laughs> which I agree with. It's like the longest courting period of any player yeah. uh, in history. But Ilya Kovalchuk is an LA King, three years, $6.25 million a year, um, 35 years old, slotted to probably play i would be shocked if he didn't play on kopitar's left side because if he's not then what the hell are we doing at this point so i guess the first obvious question is what do we think vardy what do you think about the signing and and where the kings are headed this season i'm pretty happy about the signing i think we had talked about and everyone had kind of talked about their options uh going into it in terms of looking for a uh, left winger right that was that was very much the priority going into the off season um and the trade routes that that were often brought up with the kings involved were jeff skinner or max patcheretti those were the two big names kind of thrown out there and we touched upon a lot of that last episode too and then it was kind of funny because we were having that whole conversation and almost just just in that present moment, it, it kind of became clear to us that Kovalchuk seemed like, honestly, the, the safest option if they could pull it off, even though, yes, he's 35 and not exactly in the age category that the Kings were looking for, but in the sense that it didn't cost them um, prospects or roster players that Jeff Skinner or Max Pacioretty or anyone else they would have wanted to go after would have cost them. Um, and also because it would come with a three year or however many year commitment that the Kings decided to kind of throw at him versus Pacioretty, Skinner, you know, and some sort of a, some sort of a hazy dream, maybe Artemi Panarin, all those guys would come in with a one year deal. And then who knows what you would have to, you know, sign them to. And if you can make them work under the salary cap, I, 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 I like it. I trust that the Kings, uh, professional scouting department has been doing their homework and have kept an eye on him for the last few years in the KHL and and feel that he can still contribute at the NHL level and kept up his fitness pretty well. Um, yeah, your thoughts. Uh, so just to plug my partner over here, last episode I've already gave Kovalchuk to the Kings a 70% chance of happening. Uh, the highest number we threw out that day. And lo and behold, here we are. So... You just, can't see me dancing, folks, but it's a beautiful dance I'm doing right just now. Just adding some credibility to the Bannerman, as if we haven't already, with brilliant predictions like Gabriel Landeskog for Jake Muzzin, which we made almost a year ago. <laughs> it could still happen. <laughs> I guess it could. I guess it could. Okay, so for me, honestly, I'm not too worried about either the term or the money. Is there a risk? Of course. You know, he could 
you know, score 10 goals for the next three seasons and you have to start considering a buyout in season two. But is that likely? No, it's probably not likely that he's going to score 10. If he scores 10 on the power play alone, I'd be like, oh, you know, Kobe, maybe you could have given us a little bit more. Uh, So, no, I'm not worried too much about it. But it is interesting because it's a polarizing move from a Kings fan perspective because not necessarily us, but other people I've talked to, they're kind of 50-50 on the deal. Um, the fact of the matter is the Kings core is an older core right now. So your options, what to do with the team is kind of limited, right? I mean, you, you have to add to your core. And we've talked about this, how the Kings are not going to blow up this team. So in that sense, yes, I do like the move. I think it's, you know, people say it's a risky move, but of all the moves, it probably has the lowest risk, mm-hmm. right? Because Max Pacioretty, Jeff Skinner are on one of your deals. Um, and then after that, you're probably going to pay them more than 6.25 a year. You're going to extend them for a long time, right? And I would, in Skinner's case, I think it's it's seven million plus. Same with Pacioretty; he's been on a sweetheart deal forever, so I don't think he's going to feel bad for asking for seven million or even eight million, considering his production. Um, so let's really break it down. I mean, it adds offense to your core, and you keep trying to get closer to that third cup, right? So that's the main thing that sticks out to me that. It, I'm cool with. That's one of the options you have. It's really two options. It's either you add offense to the core and try again, or you blow it all up and accept that you're going to be no, you're going to be mediocre no matter what and begin the rebuilding process. We've said that that is not a good option. Um, right. So I go with option one. The fact of the matter is, Dowdy, Kopitar, Brown. They just came off of career years. Um, you can't just brush that off and brush it under the rug because Vegas swept them. You know, in the first round, you can't just totally. you can't just say, "Oh, who cares?" Because we got swept in the first round. It's the same old, same old, same old Kings of the last three years. You have to take that into account. Yeah, I think it's it's funny because you and I both um, decided to listen back to one of our episodes, one of our early episodes. It was kind of around the same time last year, and one of the things that we were lamenting then is that um, the big signings that. Blake had made the big splash that he had made as the new GM was bringing in Michael Camilleri. You know, you want to talk about a a retread. And I think, you know, we predicted at that time that that was not going to be a very successful signing, but it was a, it was a low risk, high reward signing. And that's what it was kind of destined to be. But the, the fear that we had was that you were injecting Mike Camilleri into the lineup, hoping that that would spark the offense. And, there wasn't much else that was going to change from what we felt in terms of the rest of the offense. We, we weren't sure if, if, you know, the coaching changes or, or the overall atmosphere of the team was going to be enough to bring out enough offense from the guys that we had. And lo and behold, it turns out that most of the offense, the offensive improvement that we had actually came from the players we already had in the lineup. You know, uh, Kopitar having a career year, Dowdy having a career year, Brown having a career year. In fact, where we lost offense was with an unforeseen injury with Jeff Carter. Otherwise, you know, I think I think he would have very easily had a 25, 30 goal season as well. So I think when you have that kind of a result, when you have that kind of a, a situation now with the team where they actually have responded that well to a new coaching system, have been able to bring out a lot better offense, not just in terms of production, but in terms of just the play, like in terms of passing the eye test, then I think you, you're maybe a little more inclined to put in a guy like Kovalchuk, who, yes, might be a bit older, but 
is is basically a pure offensive weapon, right? Like you're you're not counting on this guy to be back checking a whole heck of a lot and breaking up plays. That's not what you're bringing him in for. You're bringing him in because he does one thing and one thing very very well, and that's score goals. So. I think it's very interesting to see how the team has shifted from one year to the next, even though the playoff results were lackluster, to say the least. I think it's only fair that maybe I played devil's advocate a little bit here. Sure. Um, so I'm going to throw some things at you, Vardy. Okay. And you can counter me. Of course, that's the whole point of this. And it's whatever I'm saying, it's not that I agree with it, but I do feel it's fair. It's fair to throw out some things. And the main thing is that I've heard, and I'm going to throw it at you, is that Kovalchuk no longer has the speed that the Kings crave, that their direction they're going in is, is speed and skill. Certainly he has skill and spades, but one of the arguments I've seen is that Ilya Kovalchuk can no longer play at the pace of the current NHL. What say you to that? I think from the – I mean, it's tough to gauge because obviously I watched him during the Olympics and he was playing against – you know, not NHL talent to say the least. I think even if the speed necessarily, the breakaway speed isn't there, the talent is still there. And the ability to score goals when set up properly is very much still there. Um, I think, you know, again, this, this kind of goes back to, to, to Marion Gabrick in a lot of ways in my mind, because Gabrick was another guy who thrived a lot on his speed early in his career. And even though he wasn't slow by any means, he certainly wasn't the speed demon that he was early on when, you know, over the last couple of years with the Kings. But you could still see that in the right spots, he could score his goals. He just couldn't stay healthy for the life of him. And then his ice time kind of fell off. I think if you're going to post Kovalchuk up on top of the circle, like, like he's known to do through his career, you're going to get somewhere between seven to 10 power play goals off of that alone. The man has a nose for the net. He's more durable than Gabrick's been throughout his career. I think that to me, I don't see how he doesn't at least keep up with Kopitar. Like I've never looked at Kopitar and been like, man, he's so slow. How's he going to accomplish anything? That's actually what I was going to add is that if you look at the line, he's going to play on, right? Um, none of those guys are exactly flying up and down the wings. You know what I mean? Like, Kovi or uh, Kopi, sorry, has never, as you said, been. That's going to be a problem even. going forward, isn't it? A lot of Kovi and Kopi issues. Yeah, good thing Bob Miller retired because I don't think he would have oh, any man. fun with that one. But Kopalchuk coming your way, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, I don't think it's going to be. I don't think that line plays a fast game per se. So I think he fits in there. Uh, that being said, another thing you could argue is that well Alex Ayafalo had tons of speed you put him on Kopitar's wing and it worked out so well right but um, he had no finish he had no finish so you can't conceivably go into the season with a guy who had uh, under 10 goals playing on the top line playing getting those minutes so you go out and get this guy the main thing that I'm looking at that excites me is the power play and you right. kind of touched on it you look at the personnel the Kings could have on PP1 um man <laughs> Dowdy and Kovalchuk on the point with Kopitar, front, Kopitar, Carter, half ball, yeah. I mean, you could even go Muzzin and Dowdy on the point, and you go Kovalchuk on the, you know, far circle, and Kopitar on the half wall, and Carter around the net. That's a lot of options, right? That's a lot of good options, and that's where I think the Kings are going to benefit the most. And the fact of the matter is that the Kings haven't had a good power play in. A long time they've always been middle of the pack or lower uh, maybe one season they were clicking in the top 10 in the last i don't know six or seven so 
that's a big thing I think that the Kings are going to really benefit from. You take a penalty against the Kings now, you're going to be in trouble for most for the most part. I believe that. Yeah. Um, and I want to re- I just, I don't want to harp on this too much, but for anyone who doesn't like the deal and, and keeps saying that it's just more of the same mediocre playoff performance is coming your way with a 35-year-old guy who doesn't have it anymore and and everyone who wants a rebuild let me just clarify that rebuilding is easy okay it does not take a genius general manager to rebuild a team right any competent gm can come in and start a rebuild you know what's hard drafting a number one center a number one defenseman and a number one goalie which the kings have all three that they drafted and the center of the defense and the defenseman had the best years of their careers last year and the goalie won the Jennings trophy yeah, in and fact, was masterful in the playoffs. So let's you know let's pump the brakes on that. That uh, it still bugs me. We talked about it a few episodes ago, yeah. and I might bring it up again a few more times. <laughs> so you guys got to humor me on that. I think I think again I would argue that I don't think the Kings, barring a disaster or barring the retirement of all of these guys, are ever going to go back into that mode of like let's just tank for draft picks, let's trade everyone away for draft picks. It's just. You don't do that. You don't win a couple cups and show that you could be a successful team and have guys like this who are consistently playing well or playing better every year, arguably, at this point in their careers. You can't. You just can't blow that up. You have to make moves like this with the with the point of hitting their window and trying to get a third cup if you can. Um I, I don't and, and in fact I would actually argue that one of the reasons why the Kings have been kind of lacking in this department or struggling a little bit the last couple of years is because we kind of, we gave up our first round picks during the last few years of Dean Lombardi's era with the hope of bringing in guys on these kind of rental deals or one year deals, thinking that like, we're going to, we're going to get it done in this one year and then we'll figure it out kind of thing that prevents you from being able to restock your pipeline. That puts more pressure on the guys that you actually have in the lineup to be able to produce for a longer period of time. So if you can imagine that if the Kings had been able to draft first round players instead of, you know, trading for, Sakara or trading for Lucic, you know, maybe you'd have another couple guys who were coming in contributing who'd be now three, four year players and we're putting up 20, 25 goals and you wouldn't have to resort to Kovalchuk signings. I'm not I'm not against what Lombardi was trying to do, especially the Lucic deal, I think was was made in good conscience and he had a plan there. But my point is that it can go sideways on you very fast, depending on how you want to try and do this. Now I look at how the Kings pipeline is restocked just in two year period of time. You have guys like Gabe Velarde that you're bringing in who, you know, for right now, they've got him pegged to be your first line center of the future. I don't think I'm exaggerating and saying that I think their plan is to bring him in and in, you know, three, four years, maybe he's playing one, a one B with Kopi. Carter can't be playing forever. I mean, he's, he's going to be 37 at that point. And you've got, you've got guys who I think now you're, you're not blowing it up, but you're transitioning, you're setting up your next generation of players. So your team is still going to stay competitive, you know, a little bit of ebb and flow, but I don't think the idea of blowing it up or, being in a lottery pick position is anything that they're targeting. Whereas I think there are teams in the league right now where they're comfortable being in that kind of a position for the next few years yes, before they it, can turn their fortunes around. And to touch on that, it goes back to, you mentioned the Lombardi trades. This is an asset the Kings gave nothing 
for. They give right. cap space and they give cash, which leads me maybe to our next point, which is the supposed deal the Kings had in place for Max Pacioretty. So just to go over it a little bit, the Kings had a deal in place, but couldn't agree on a contract extension. Now, this hasn't been really confirmed. In fact, there's conflicting reports of this. Dennis Bernstein says no such thing happened because he got in touch with uh, Patrick's old agent. Well, we'll get in that, into that in a second. Um, but there were several outlets from Montreal who reported that the deal was basically done pending a contract extension. Uh, so the reports are that Patrick did want to come to L.A., uh, Perhaps he didn't like the number on the extension. And it was time-sensitive because there were 2018 draft picks involved in the trade. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think it was the first, but I think maybe second or third was probably add, added to it. And what's even more fascinating is what we just mentioned is that the trade was under Patriotti's old agent, Pat Brisson. And Patriotti ends up firing him on Friday, at some point on Friday during the draft, uh, in favor of Alan Walsh. And interestingly, Brisson is Kovalchuk's agent uh, in this whole mess. So when you break it all down, uh, the timeline Pat of Brisson's the real winner. Exactly, <laughs> and also the timeline of the Kovalchuk and Pacioretty situations probably doesn't really affect either deal, right? Um, in fact, Bob McKenzie, I think, went so far as to say that the Kings were targeting both players at some point. Uh, Dennis Bernstein actually said the same that the Kings were hunting after both players. Uh, so actually now what you're looking at is a situation where Blake was very much involved in discussions with other teams uh, regarding their players to improve their offense outside of Kovalchuk. And that's kind of that's got to kind of take you by surprise, right, a little bit, because given what we've seen over the years, I think I mentioned this on Twitter or you did, you know, Dean Lombardi was aggressive, uh, but this is a whole other level of aggressive from Rob Blake especially when you factor in all the other things he's done uh, regarding college free agents, going outside the box to get players. Uh, and I guess in theory, the Kings could still add offense. I just personally don't see it happening at this point. Mm -hmm. I think, could they revisit the Pacioretty deal at some point? Sure. Are they talking to Carolina right now? It's possible. But in my I guess thinking in my mind, I think the Kings are probably moving forward with the roster they have right now. Yeah, I think I agree with that too. Because to make another move like that would would lead you to to move guys who are on your roster. Just cap space alone requires that you do that. I think, and um, I don't know. I don't know if Blake is really looking to blow up the roster. No. You know what I mean? Like, I, or even, or even move any of the guys that he has on there right now. I think there's a certain chemistry that exists in the room where there isn't anything that you're necessarily looking to get rid of to improve the team. I think this is purely a team that needs additions, additions like the Kovalchuk addition to kind of move forward. I don't think there's anyone in particular left on the team that I'm like, man, this guy's just taking up dead space. We should just get rid of him. Would we be still better off without him? Yeah. Can I do without a $2 million cap hit or $1.8 million contract to Kyle Clifford? Sure. But again, we've discussed that, that he's got a role to play on this team as well. I just, like I said, I think this is a team right now that is going to benefit quite a bit from bringing in a guy like Kovalchuk and not giving up anything in terms of draft picks or anyone on the roster. I think that implies to the team that we 
trust in what you guys have in that room. We trust in what you guys brought last season. And we trust that with a healthy roster and the addition of this guy, you're going to be able to do some things with it. It's It was just the best move possible. I think if Pacioretty's asking, if the ask on Pacioretty is a roster player and a draft pick and maybe a prospect, and Dennis Bernstein actually went as far as to suggest it would be Muzzin, Anderson, Dolan, and a second. Right. That's a tough. That's a I rough. I don't want to do that trade. That sounds not, like a horrible trade. Here's the trade. deal: not when you can get Kovalchuk for nothing at six point two five million. Given you know he's a dynamic player. Yes, he's older, but especially Jared Anderson. Look, we've lamented Jake Muzzin a lot on this show. Uh, we've thrown him in every trade scenario you could think of. I haven't found a bust that I haven't rolled over him. <laughs> right. Quite frankly, and and I still wouldn't do that trade. On the basis of Jared Anderson Dolan, because I think he his upside is just growing every day. He had a fantastic season coming out of his draft year, right? So he he responds to that. He puts up, I think it was ninety something points. He had a, right. he's looking good in camp. Um, yeah, I would. I don't like that deal. I want to be very comfortable with that. I would be upset if Anderson Dolan is involved in a deal, and I'd even be upset that Muzzin goes the other way on that one too. Because again, you're going for a player that has one year on on his contract, and that is very, very similar to the Lucci trade, where you give up Jones, where you knew this guy was going to be a good player. Right. You give up Colin Miller, who is now a second pairing defenseman, and yes, it's not a first you're giving up, but you're still giving up a pick in the second round which apparently could have been uh, Akil Thomas, which we'll get into a little later about who we picked. I don't like that. Uh, I'm yeah. glad the Kings stay away from that because, again, you're going to give up those players, plus you're going to sign Patrady probably for $7 million plus. So right. given, given the two options, man, and even with if we had both options, I'm glad, I'm glad if the Kings are going to stay away that they do stay away. Yeah, from man, that, if, they, if they put this in front of me and they said, these are the two options. You either trade Muzzin, Anderson Dolan, and Akil Thomas for one year of Max Pacioretty, health questionable, to sign Kovalchuk to $6.25 million for three years. Every day I take that Kovalchuk deal. Easily. Every single day. I don't, I don't see how anyone would even consider going the opposite direction because you have no idea what Pacioretty's health is like. He's been hurt a lot in his career. He's north of 30. You're hoping that he has a bounce back year. And then for what? To sign him to – he's not going to get less than $7 million on the market. You still have to consider that you're trying to sign Dowdy. You're going to have to fit everything into a cap You know that it's just not going to work. To me, I take the bird in the hand in this situation any given day. $6.25 million, three years. You can work with that number. You can plan your future around that number. You don't have that same uncertainty that kind of hung over the team that entire year that Lucic was here. I, I felt like the every single day while Lucic was here, it was like, this is working out really well. He's contributing. He seems to fit in well with the room. How are we going to get this guy to stay? And then we threw out like, you know, ridiculous offers of like, four and a half million for eight years thinking that he just had such a great time for that one year that he was here that he was going to stick around the guy signed for three million more than that and the same yep. thing's going to happen with patch to me i look at it and i say if it's as easy as someone giving a roster player and a prospect or something like that why has no one made this deal already with montreal there's a there's there's 29 teams that would benefit from having Max Patch already on their roster. So how come no one else has made this deal if it's if it's that easy? It's for the same reason. 
you don't know how much you're going to get out of this player. You don't know if you're going to be able to re-sign him. Same reason why Skinner hasn't been moved yet. Exactly. And it's just it's not rocket science, man. And I think from, from Blake's standpoint, he needed to inject offense and he wanted a little certainty going into the rest of this summer, how to plan around this team. I think you, you hamstring your draft department, you hamstring your development department. If at any given point in time over the summer, you're still kind of toying with this idea of like, well, I might get rid of one of your best prospects and one of your better roster players with this way. I think, they're like 90% sure what their roster is going to be going into camp. And the big thing is the Kings need cost-controlled young players at yes. this point in their development, yes. at this point of where they're headed. That's why guys like Ayafalo, Rampal, uh, Brickley, that's why those guys are such key acquisitions by Blake because you need those guys, that second wave coming, that don't have contracts that are going to affect your cap very much. And Anderson Dolan's going to be just like those guys. You need... Right. Like, you cannot keep losing guys like that. And, and Blake hasn't done that, for the record. But, again, it kind of goes back to the Lombardi stuff that happened. So, it's funny. If, if let's say, it was Muzzin in the trade for Pacioretty and, I don't know, a third-round pick. Let's say the trade – hell, let's say it's a one-for-one one swap, okay? Muzzin for Pacioretty. At that point, I think the Kings are going to have to go out and get a defenseman. Do I mind that trade – as much as I mind the other one, no. I think that's a little more palatable. However, now you're going to have to go and get a defenseman because I don't think you can roll into the season with your top four of Forbert, Dowdy, Fanuf, and Martinez. Yeah. That's problematic. Okay, that's problematic right there. And as much, again, as we lament Jake Muzzin, he eats those minutes. He plays okay. Yes, he makes mistakes, but now you're you're going to have to go. And I heard like, Calvin DeHaan is a player that the Kings are kind of in on. Good player, fine, but again, it's a band-aid on defense, right? And, and right. I'm not saying Muzzin is, but to me, I'd rather have Muzzin than Calvin DeHaan. I mean, you Calvin know you're DeHaan getting Muzzin. Sign. Yeah, and you know that Calvin DeHaan being one of the top defensive free agents available is going to get a lot of money. Right. Probably, He's definitely going to get more than the $4.25 million that we have Muzzin for for the next couple of years. Flat. That's for sure. It's four flat for Muzzin. Is that what the hit is? I think so, yeah. And I think yeah, you're right. you're at right. the very least it's going to be $5 million for Calvin DeHaan, who right. is younger, yes. But again, is it worth it to get a guy – and really, what would the lines be, right? Kovalchuk's going to be on the top line. Maybe you slide Patchetti to Carter's left, uh, Velarde to Carter's right, and then you go Pearson, Kempe, Toffoli on your third line. Okay, that's pretty good. Never mind. That's it's, a pretty badass line. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a beautiful lineup, That's not, that, but it's not a realistic one. No, it's, it's like... It's not a realistic one. It, we're, we're, we're like breaching... NBA super team territory oh, <laughs> with some of that stuff. Right. You know what I mean? So with none of the financial abilities to do such things. Exactly. So if the Kings aren't done, I hope you know they're maybe still being reasonable with their offering and all that. Um, I'm f- look, go for it, Blakey. You know, research everything, kick tires on everyone. I'm all for that. Uh, but let's not get crazy here. I think we got a pretty good player and. I have no issue moving forward with this lineup right now because your third line would then be Ayafalo, Kempe, and Lewis, which that's fine. Hey, that's fine, man. Let them let them go figure it out. Kempe's going to get better. I think they're probably going to play Velarde on that line, man. I think they're going to try and play Velarde like that's a wing true. on that uh, line. Again, I forgot Velarde. So it would actually right. be Kempe in the middle with Ayafalo and Velarde dropping Lewis to your fourth line, which is even better. 
because uh, he probably gives that line some offensive punch. So that's look, man, that's a good lineup, right? I I, I can roll with that lineup. Is it that super team we just said? No, but still a good lineup. Yeah, I think Velarde's the one kind of X factor in all this. Absolutely. You know, I, I I don't know. I don't. I want to set my expectations at a reasonable level, but. I, I just keep looking at video. I keep looking at like statements from the team from this, you know, recent week of development camp and, and kind of, I mean, it's, it's almost, it's, it's almost a lock that he's making the lineup. That's not even really up for debate. I think at this point, and we've debated it plenty on this show and there's really, <laughs> there's no other, but there's just nowhere else. I mean, there's yeah. nowhere else he can go. There's nowhere else he can go, but up. But the question is like, if he comes in, right, if he comes in, the, I realize this isn't fair. <laughs> I, I realize this is not fair in any way to him as a player. But the image that I just keep having in my head is when Kopitar started as a rookie. Oof. Right? No one knew what to expect from this guy. Okay? You knew he was drafted in the first round. He'd fallen probably lower than he was ranked because he was coming from some unknown hockey country and no one really knew what to expect aside from the fact that he had some size and he was a good enough player to be ranked highly. But several other teams passed on him. Several other good teams, Montreal being one of them, passed on him and then lived to regret that decision. But... I don't want to attach that type of expectation to what I expect out of Velarde, but what if, man? What if this guy comes in and within the first 10 games, you see him play and you're like, man, we, we can't be giving this guy 12 minutes of ice time a night and think we're doing him any favors. You know what I mean? What if he comes in and he's playing so well within that first month or two that you're like, we have to give this guy 16 minutes of ice time and power play time. And then, then you can start, you know, maybe coming up with some dream scenarios as to what you want to tweak. I think that X factor. And again, I'm not there every single day to see him play. I'm not there to kind of compare him to the rest of the lineup and, and whatnot. But I mean, you just knew, man, you knew from the first game Kopitar stepped out there that you had something special. He just redefined what the rest of your lineup was like. And I'm not expecting that out of Velarde because the guys ahead of him, certainly, you know, you have Kopitar, you have Carter. I'm not talking about Stumple here. I'm expecting him to kind of come and replace. But I'm just saying it's not out of the realm of possibility. You're such an asshole, dude. <laughs> Because now, because now you got my blood flowing. <laughs> now I'm excited. Now I'm thinking. I'm oh. his hype man, baby. <laughs> like, oh man, Vardy is making some really good points right now. Um, but I will tell you this. I will give you one big difference. Is that when Kopitar came in, he was automatically the number one center. Because we had nothing else, right? So that's a big difference. He was... He, Come on. They, they didn't put him in the camp thinking, hey, guy, no. you're our number one center. No. He, he proved in camp that he had that ability. Correct. But my point is that when you see him playing well, you have no issue elevating him to number one center because yes, you look at what you else you have. No one's holding him back. Okay, right. fine. So in this scenario, uh, who's he going to supplant? You know, even if – what's he going to do to supplant people in the top six? Now, again, I'm not saying it's impossible. And again – I'm very excited at what you just said and it made me very excited for the season and for training camp and all that. But 
I guess I'm trying to peel it back a little bit. Again, you're saying what if, which is fair, which is very fair. Uh, yes, what if? I, I'm with you. Uh, but I still think to, to a certain degree they're going to have to be careful with him. He is, he's most likely starting on the wing. That's another thing. Yes. Do I see him playing so well that he ends up on Kopitar or Carter's right side at some point? Yeah. I, I don't think that's crazy to say and and that goes to what you said uh but i think it's gonna be it would be a situation where it's like okay like let's put brownie back up there and and you know let's see what he maybe he learned something or like let's put tyler back on the second you know uh right wing two and whatever so it's different because you have so many other seasoned options but yes i'm i'm with you man what if i'm all about what if scenarios I would say the difference here is with the management group. I think Blake has shown that he is not he's not one to just sit on a roster if he doesn't like something about it. He brought in Camilleri and traded him within the same season. He brought in Jokinen, traded him within the same season. Brought in Reeder, even though that cost him a pretty decent asset in, in Darcy Kemper. Money didn't work out. He didn't produce the way he wanted him to. Let him walk as an RFA. I think Blake is more willing to tinker with this roster if he sees an opportunity to make the team better. So if he's looking at this team and he sees a guy like Velarde that's being held back by someone else in the lineup that's a little more seasoned and is higher above him, say the Pearsons or the Toffolis of the world, and he thinks there's an opportunity there to capitalize on an asset, I think he takes that opportunity. And he's again, he's starting as a wing on the third line, right? Because Kempe We think. We think. That's 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 kind of what we're projecting. But it wouldn't surprise me if they put him as a three C. I mean Kempe, yeah, he generates speed up the middle, but his face off ability clearly leaves much to be desired. Um so I don't know. I mean, maybe he plays really well and you end up having kind of a Pittsburgh scenario where you've got, you know, Crosby Malkin, Jordan Stahl, and you've got Kopitar Carter Velarde. And in that scenario, he can he can get 16 minutes of ice time. You just don't give Carter 19 minutes of ice time. You give him 17 minutes or something like that. I don't know, man. I don't know. That's all I'm saying is that, like, I have heard nothing but rave reviews about this guy. I've heard nothing but, like, he's a gamer. The whole reason he fell was because of his skating ability, and he got hurt. Otherwise, he probably would have been in the Kings lineup at some point last season. At the very least, gotten a nine-game look, I think. I got nothing. I got nothing but good things in my mind right now. That's sure, all. you have no reason not to, as you said. So, I do too. Again, we don't. I think at the minimum he's getting the nine game look, right? I mean, it, it would. There's no way he's not getting the nine game look. Yes. In fact, I, I expect him to stay past that, just because the team is looking to get younger and they have made such significant strides to get younger. Um, and I guess speaking of getting younger, we can talk about our draft picks now, Vardy. Uh, All right. In the first round, 20th pick, uh, the Kings select Rasmus Kupari out of Finland. Uh, 5'11", 163, a center, right shot. Uh, in the draft rankings in general, you could find him anywhere between 11 and 22 mm-hmm. uh, on various rankings. It's funny because up until the last few months, he was actually way higher than where he was drafted i think some people felt that he had the speed the skill and even the finish 
to be no pun intended there hey. <laughs> to be a top draft pick now he kind of tailed off uh, as we got closer and closer to the draft so he ends up i guess falling a little bit although some people had him exactly at 20 and the kings take him exactly at 20 the scouting report on this guy is just speed 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 hot nasty speed <laughs> as they say uh, and the one thing that maybe towards the end started slipping was his ability to finish um so that's what we have he's considered a, a skilled player he's considered a guy who can put up numbers but then there's other you know scattering reports where it sounds a whole lot like trevor lewis mm-hmm. a responsible 200 foot player who could who could play it any way you like a swiss army, army knife type of guy who has maybe a little more offensive upside than a trevor lewis would have so that's who the kings have at number 20 with erasmus kupari yeah i i think you know you when you described him to me and uh trevor lewis was kind of the comparable trevor lewis also is a first round pick himself um i don't know how excited i was by that i i don't know in, in the back of my mind not that there's anything against having guys like trevor lewis who end up being 15 year nhl players you have to find those guys you, you need guys like that on your team and lewis has, has been a valuable member of of this team um including through the cup years i just i guess i was looking for a, maybe a little bit more excitement yeah. sometimes in that in that pick you know like if you're going for a first round pick like you want someone whose whose ceiling is a little bit higher than or at least their projections a little bit higher than the trevor lewis yeah i mean i want to be fair though you know when trevor lewis was drafted he was expected to be a much more offensive player than he is right now um and actually the comparable the main comparable i've seen uh to kapari is sebastian aho from the carolina hurricanes uh which is not he is not trevor lewis let me clarify no. that. Is he lighting the league on fire? No, but you see a lot of potential in him. And that's the main comparable skill-wise, mindset-wise, and ceiling-wise that I've seen for Kupari. So i rather lean in that direction, <laughs> obviously. But, again, if, if he could be – his projections are equal to what the projections of Trevor Lewis were. I am not saying – his ceiling is Trevor Lewis. I am not saying he's going to be Trevor Lewis. First of all, that was a long, long time ago, Lewis's mm-hmm. draft. Players now, in general, uh, are much more offensive-minded. Players coming into the league are encouraged to be more creative, are encouraged to be faster, are encouraged to show off their skill more. Uh, he's not coming into a system where it's like what they did to Nick Shore, basically. is like, forget all that stuff. What we need you to do... Yeah is do this stuff good first and then we'll worry about you putting up numbers so i think it's a different time it's a different mentality obviously it's a different organization top to bottom now so when i say trevor lewis in my mind i know that maybe i'm not being overly fair to rasmus kupari um look he's a center if he projects out to be a second third line center and you add to kempe velardi and anderson dolan not That's bad. Okay. That's, okay. That's okay. We could deal with that. <laughs> that okay. I could deal with. Um, so that's him, I guess, in a vacuum. And then uh, in the second round, surprisingly, I might add, the Kings end up drafting Akil Thomas, who, man, on many lists, Akil Thomas was a first rounder. Uh, maybe a very early second rounder at worst. 
And the LA Kings, man, it, it seems like this is now <laughs> kind of a pattern with this team. Yeah, I mean, the second round's where we make our money, man. Yeah, 5'11", 170, uh, played for the Niagara Ice Dogs. He is also a center, highly skilled. I, where the Kings take him, 51? Yeah. That's something. <laughs> that, that is something. So a bit of a steal, I would say. Yeah. from the LA Kings for a See, that, Thomas. That, that pick excites me. But again, I, I think maybe it excites me more so because of where we took him. And I realize it's not fair to Kapari, but like, I feel like if those picks were somehow reversed, which they couldn't be, but like if, if they took a kill Thomas in the first round and they took Kapari with the 51st pick, I don't think I would be as, you know, I, I'm not being fair. I'm not being fair. I haven't seen enough of Kapari to say, I'm just going off of like other people's word. Frankly, if the Kings end up getting two solid players out of the two rounds of this draft, which really beyond the first five picks or whatever, they had guys going everywhere that you can think of. I I have no complaints about that, whatever. I I enjoyed what they targeted with their players. They went for speed. They went for guys who had the ability to finish, who had offensive flair. And I think in, in, with Thomas, they went with someone who maybe is a little more rounded in other Kings hockey kind of ways, like a little more offensive. I mean, a little more physical, perhaps, in his play. Yeah. Words regarding his scouting reports that I love, game-breaking offensive talent. Mm. To get that <laughs> – to get that outside of the first sweet sugar to my ears 50 picks is awesome um yeah good very good seems like he has a good attitude too he says uh i want to make everyone pay for <laughs> skipping over me um good skater good speed good puck handling skills he's a two-way center with high offensive ability and that's just up the LA Kings alley, isn't it? That's what, yeah. And honestly, any team, that's the kind of talent you want to draft. Um, he's not even a boom or bust pick. You know what I mean? He's not someone who might bust. At the very least, I think you're going to get an NHL contributor yeah. out of this guy. And good for the Kings, man. Their second-round genius continues. Uh, it doesn't even matter who the management team yeah. is anymore, I guess. It's, it's funny. Like, I'm more excited about our second-round picks most years than anything else because I just know that they're going to get a guy who is just going to end up being a player. Uh, very excited about Akil Thomas. Very excited about excited about the Kings pipeline. Uh, it's been a while since we've had the fortune of saying that, but with Velarde, Anderson, Dolan, Kupari, Thomas – uh, some of these kids we got out of the NCAA, Cal Peterson, um, mm-hmm. man, things are looking up. It's a good Kale turnaround. The, it it time, really man. is very quick too, and it goes to show if you draft well, it does not take very long. And again, uh, I apologize in advance for everyone harping on a rebuild. I mean, you, you just rebuild. <laughs> I mean, this it, is it's it. not rebuild. right. It's not like you're not getting lottery picks. But Gabe Velarde was, by all indications, should have been a lottery pick. And you get him at 11, just like that. And it's not, by the way, not very different uh, than how the Kings built their Stanley Cup core. You mm-hmm. look at those players. Who was a lottery pick? One guy. Yeah. It was Drew Doughty. Everyone else, the Kings weren't terrible when they drafted them. They were just bad enough to get number 11, Andre Kopitar, uh, to draft Dustin Brown at 13. To draft Jonathan Quick in the second freaking round. Third. 
third, sorry, uh, to draft guys like Wayne Simmons, who landed you uh, Mike Richards mm-hmm. in the second round. Uh, Jack Johnson was through a trade. You know, it, it wasn't like the Kings went uh, scorched earth rebuild, got all these lottery picks, drafted all these studs, and here we go, Stanley Cup. It's never the, It never works that way, guys. Ask teams who have tried that. It's not that easy. Yeah. I, I And I think knowing that that model works for them and knowing that they have, again, players who they expect to still be in the lineup for the next four or five years, that gives you time. That gives you runway to make these picks, to draft these guys maybe a little later than other teams do, maybe in later rounds. I mean – we stopped at the second round, but by all indications, the Kings got a couple good players in the third and fourth round too. some yes, older guys. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, I think drafting goes a long way. I think the Kings have the utmost confidence in their scouting department at this point that out of any given draft, they're going to produce two to three NHL caliber players, provided they have the picks to make those players. And I think that's all you can really ask for. Did you? Uh, <laughs> the Kings didn't draft a single defenseman in this I know. draft. Isn't that awesome? Tell you want to talk about changing your mentality and and the direction of where you're headed as a developmental team by uh, your general manager who was a defenseman <laughs> to go the entire draft and just draft goaltenders and forwards. It man, um, again, I, it's, it's not to say that the Kings weren't just thinking best player available. They could have been. Uh, but you, we get into the later rounds. You're like, you look at who you've drafted. Right. It's it's tough to imagine someone said, hey, maybe we should take a D here because uh, we haven't drafted yeah. one in five rounds. They're like, no, let's take a second goaltender. <laughs> exactly. So very, very interesting, very different times. Very excited. I guess the Kings felt they don't need any more D because our baby boy, Drew Doughty, reports indicate that he is on the verge of re-signing with the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, no numbers out or anything, just a few reports that the Kings are working on it. I think one reporter, Dave Pagnotta of the fourth period, mentioned that expect an announcement by July 1st, which is kind of crazy because that's when the, the, the window opens for you right. to even sign the guy. Right. To get it done on day one, it, it, man, it makes you wonder how much the Kovalchuk deal impacted this. It makes you wonder... Had the Kings not even acquired Kovey until, I don't know, later, if he was holding out and seeing more teams, whatever, if if Drew would have signed it. It's all speculation, but it is very interesting uh, that it looks like this is happening fairly quickly. I think, I think, you know, you know, it's never 100%, but I think we all felt that, that Dewey was going to resign. We did. But again, we listened back to our, our episode last year around this time, and it was still a question. It was a question of what can the Kings show him in this one to two season span to make him feel confident that this was still a team that could offer him the ability to win more cups, make him confident in his ability to continue to build his legacy. Legacy was the word that we kind of landed on because that's that's all he's got left at this point, right? I mean, the money's he can get the money anywhere. But you want to be the guy that's getting the money and is getting names on trophies. And that's that's all he wants. And I think I think they did well enough in that one year to show him that this is not this is not a team to be ignored. This is a team that will benefit from having him here for the rest of his career. And I'm I'm glad it's going in that direction. 
I think they're going to probably end up paying him somewhere like twelve million a year. I, I think if it's hold on, if it's, hold on, yeah, okay, it, it, it has to be eight years, eighty-eight million, right? I mean, that's just too easy. <laughs> Maybe that that might even be wishful, but. If I were to predict I just it, imagine him having like a ridiculous smile on his yeah. face when they put that contract in front of him too. I, I, I would say that's what he's going to sign for: eight years, eighty-eight million. And then they're just going to have a photo of him holding up four <laughs> fingers on each hand. Exactly, exactly. And hey, that's it is what it is. He's going to be the highest-paid player on the Kings. I think we all saw that coming. Right. Um, and at eleven million a year, that is exactly what he would be. So. That's my prediction on that deal. Uh, it's just for funsies, of course. It just sounds cool. Right. Eight, eight, eight. The crazy eights. Um, <laughs> but even if he signs for twelve, man, really, what are you going to do? Cry about it? Like, it is what it is. This is what people are going to go for. You think John Tavares is going to sign for less than that? Probably not. He's a right. free agent in the prime of his career, one of the best at his position. That's going to be the going rate for it. Um, the end. I mean, what else is there to say? Yeah, I think just put pen to paper. Get this roster set, have everyone's mind a little more clear, and then go forward. Let me ask you something, though. So say this is this is the roster that you have to work with. Yeah. Is there anything that you would tweak further? Anything that say – again, within reason. I'm not saying crazy scenario, go get Jeff Skinner as well because I think that's that's not as realistic. But like say – is there another free agent, perhaps? You already mentioned Calvin DeHaan as maybe yeah. some of the Kings have kind of gone after. Is there anything else that you would look at on the market, so, upgrade, per se? So when I heard that the Capitals weren't qualifying Devontae Smith-Pelly, mm-hmm. that was one thing that immediately I went like, okay, like if you can get him with the limited cap space you have, if you can add him for a million, maybe a little more to your bottom six – that's something I would have gone out and done, but again, the Kings have things that you can't. He just uh, he just wanted. They were negotiating the whole time. It was it was right. a mutual thing, so it wasn't even like a dispute or anything like that. Look, you have three million in cap space. That's the bottom line. If you, I don't want to move anyone off the roster right now. In my opinion, I would not do that unless it's such a home run kind of a trade. You're getting such a significantly special player that I would be like, okay, now it's time to consider. I don't think anyone like that is available, quite mm-hmm. frankly. Uh, I don't think Pacioretty is that type of player. I don't think Skinner is that type of player. I don't think they're overly special players. Are they higher end? Yes. But am I going to give up higher, to me, high-end roster players to get them? We talked about this. No. So right now, it's, it's tough for me to say yes given the cap space that we have. Uh, especially if that's dowdy thing is going to go down in the right. next few days, I would I would roll with the lineup I have right now, man. To be honest with you, um, again, let's go. We went through the lines: Kovalchuk, Kopitar, Brown, mm-hmm. Pearson, Carter, Toffoli, Ayafalo, uh, Kempe, Velarde. Let's say Clifford, Amadio, Lewis with Lewis, with Thompson, Thompson as the ex- extra. I'm good with that. Yeah, let's do it. Let, let's do it. Your D's fine. Uh, if Brickley takes the stride, you wish, you hope he does even better. Um, I'm okay with going into it, with into the season with this lineup because, quite frankly, the Pacific Division uh, is still very much a question mark, up and down. All five teams, or six, te- whatever it is now, eight. <laughs> I'm going back to the old days. Uh, all the yeah. teams in the Pacific are still very much in some kind of flux in some kind of unsure situation uh 
you have a shot at the division title, dude. Straight up with that lineup. Is it a lock? Of course not. Things can happen. Edmonton's going to get better. Calgary likely got better with the trade they just made. Um, maybe. Which uh, we can which we can also discuss. We can. In fact, actually, instead of Calgary specifically, let's let's just quickly touch upon the rest of the Pacific because that's kind of that's obviously the the you know our clear rivals, shall we say, and kind of see how things are shaking out. But we'll start with Calgary. So they obviously made a trade. They uh, for reasons that I'm not a hundred percent sure, they moved Dougie Hamilton after two years of him playing very well for them and then pursuing him. They moved Dougie Hamilton and, uh, Fairland, Michael Furland. Yeah. Furland, um, who had a good season last year, uh, somewhere between 50 ish points or so. And they moved him to uh, Carolina for Elias Lindholm and for Noah Hannafin, which we had discussed on a couple episodes before that if Carolina was just going to blow it up, I, we wouldn't think that Hannafin would be one of the names that would be moved given how high he was drafted and how he was touted and everything. But strange things going on in Carolina right now. Not that they got bad players in return. I think Fairland and, uh, and Hamilton are solid players. On the surface, it seems like a evenish deal. Calgary gets a little younger. They get maybe a little more – I mean – not as much cost control, but they what they gain in age, they might lose in terms of money because they now they have to re-sign Lindholm and Hannafin to new deals right. versus Carolina getting guys who have deals in place, maybe a little older. I don't know. I, I, I To me, it seems even for both clubs. I'm not really sure where the benefit is to either club, I guess. So I'm not really sure what the motivation was behind the trade unless there's something wrong with a particular player. I had heard rumblings that Carolina was maybe having issues with coming to a contract extension with Lindholm, which is fine. I guess I'm just more surprised that Hamilton is being traded in some of like the random stuff that came up about, Yeah. Oh, he, you know, everyone would be out having drinks and he'd be at like a museum or something. You're like, okay, that's what we're trading guys for now. Like for not drinking. Here's, here's, here's something funny. I heard, I heard, uh, Elias Lindholm was having problems with his coach in Carolina, Bill Peters. Um, <laughs> Bill Peters gets hired by the Calgary flames and the hurricanes flip Elias Lindholm to Calgary <laughs> where Bill Peters is waiting with open arms for him. So things like that on this deal, <laughs> so strange, <laughs> right? Um, but that's where we're at with that one. But yeah, I think what the point is that the Pacific is the wild, wild west, as they say right now. You really don't know yeah. who's going where. Uh, Vegas could very easily slip. If they lose the free agents, they might be losing. Um, right. Vegas hasn't, as of right now, I haven't heard them re-signing either of Perron or Neil, I've, even though everyone implies that Neil loves it there and wants to stay there. I think they're going for Carlson. Um, right. So there is that. Eric Carlson. Yes, the only Carlson available right now, I think, because yeah. John Carlson did sign. But Well, they have a William Carlson, but I, too. You that's also, an RFA. That's true. Um, so, you, they're trying to get yeah. all, all your Carlsons belong to us. That's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Edmondson should be better, you would think. Um, Can't be worse. Anaheim might slip. San Jose will probably be better. Uh Especially if they sign the next guy I want to talk oh, about, John man. Tavares. I think – here's the deal. I think scary. if I had to put a ranking of where I think he's going, 
Oh, are we giving percentages again? No, I, I'm just going to rank the teams <laughs> with favorite in my mind uh, to the least likely. Number one, I think, is still the New York Islanders, uh, mm-hmm. believe it or not. Number two, I'm going Toronto. All these wow. years of chasing every region, I think this is the one. Uh, if, of course, the Islanders don't resign him, then I would go Sharks. And then I think Tampa's there. Vegas mm-hmm. is there. Boston, I believe, is there. Vegas wasn't on the list. Oh, he I, was? They weren't? No. Okay. No, no, no. The, amongst the teams that met with him, I think it was uh, the three you mentioned. Uh, Boston met with him. Tampa, Dallas. 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 There was, you go. That's the, the team. So those are my feelings on him and his little show me parade he's got going on right now. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm trying to think, like, put myself in that position of a player. And if I wasn't sincerely considering leaving, would I go through the trouble of sitting down and having five teams, you know, pitch to me all the way in L.A. with my agent, you know, and just that's how I spend a week of my summer. And granted, it's the rest of your life. You want to hear all the options. But I don't know what I would hear or what he's thinking he's going to hear from another team that's that if he's going to sign with the Islanders, it's going to change his mind. You know what I mean? Yep. I think the Islanders fixed what, what they thought was broken on their team. And it had nothing to do with the roster. It had everything to do with who was running the team and who was coaching the team. And that's that's very reasonable for them to do, to recognize where their weakness is and go with it. But um, I don't know. I, I don't know what he's looking for. I don't know what he's – I'm assuming it's not just money because money's not a, an issue when you're at this level. It's it's championships. I would and, assume so because he's going to get the same money from every – it's not like – Yeah. No one's going to – first of all, no one can beat an eight-year deal from New York. So the most right. money is going to be there. <clears throat> but I would expect people or teams to just throw every ounce of resources, money, whatever they have at them um, – so, yeah, I do think it's championships. I don't think money is going to be an issue for him at, at this point. He's going to be one of the highest played players in the league. Um, so do you think the Islanders offer him the best shot of winning a championship? I think – here, no, absolutely not. Um, but I do think from all things I've read about him, he's, he's extremely loyal. He wants – to make it work there you know mm-hmm. there's an attachment there now they have a new general manager a new coach uh they had a hell of a draft by the way right uh they drafted a couple of kids that can make an immediate impact uh on the team if not immediate maybe next season so and that's not to is, say they don't have guys it, on that roster that i mean sure they have young Anders players Lee, Matthew Barzell, I mean, Eberle played well. He's got guys he can play with. Right. Well, I think they need a goaltender. Um, yeah. That's a huge thing that I think he would probably straight up tell him, like, do we have a goalie yet? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and also, what building will we be playing hockey in? <laughs> um, it's like a beer league team. You show up to the, show up to the locker room. Do we have a goalie? Yet, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So those are detriments to the Islanders, obviously. We're playing post? What are we doing? That's why, though, if I were to – if his best situation, his best chance of winning, I think, is Toronto. I yeah. think they have everything you need except maybe a really true stud number one defenseman. And that's not bad when that's the only thing you're missing. And uh, Pittsburgh, I think, has proven that you don't necessarily need that if you have enough horses on the on the – offensive side that's of the true puck. also that's true also so that's i think I, I go islanders one leafs two but to tell you the truth maybe i could flip that 
given the time of day of day it is and what i'm thinking <laughs> at that point and what the latest tweet is so yeah as long as it's not san jose i'm okay with that i guess we're gonna agree on that one because yeah. that would put a damper on the pacific being wide Man, open that would just that redefines things that that's a total that's a game-changing move for yeah. the sharks for years to come uh yeah. so i hope what is there to do in san jose jt come on buddy <laughs> You don't need it. Go to Toronto. It's murky. There's yeah. fog. It's all electric cars are going to get mad at you if you buy a sports car. I mean, come on. You don't want to be around that. Your hologram's going to be walking around soon. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, let, weird. let's let's skip that. Uh, who come, else? Come Anaheim to, hasn't come done to LA. Three years, three million. Yeah, right? <laughs> three years, veteran minimum. Let's do this. You want cups? That's the way to do it, big guy. Yeah. You could play fourth line center. Yep. Uh, what were you saying? I was saying Anaheim hasn't really done anything. Well, they're up against it, man, big time. Uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if they're working hard to try to trade Corey Perry right now because mm-hmm. that ain't looking too good. Um, Does he have a cl- no movement I'm clause? I'm sure he has a no. I mean, everyone's oh, yeah. got a damn no movement clause on I that. I'm sure he has a no move. Yeah, if Kevin Bieksa has one, <laughs> um, I think this is the world we live in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't really even know if they can. I mean, I'm looking at this roster. It's like they got no choice but to run with what they have, and it's not particularly impressive. Yeah. And we'll dive way deeper into everyone in our season preview episode, but a little Pacific preview for you guys right now. Teaser. But that's it for us today. Um, It was a short gap between episodes. Look at us. We kept it two weeks, as promised. Changing, like the King's management. (laughs) This ain't your daddy's bannerman. Exactly. (laughs) Things have changed. Um, But yeah, thanks for joining us, guys. Please subscribe. Please take a few minutes out of your day to leave us a review on iTunes. We always say we love that stuff. It helps us get better. It helps the show. It helps Vardy um, read stuff on his long drives. I'm lonely sometimes. (laughs) I just need those reviews to, to soothe my soul. So please, yes, leave us those reviews, good or bad. Throw us a shout out on Twitter. We love interacting. Thank you to everyone who's been listening. We get texts, we get emails, we get messages. Uh, Make us tweets. Make us feel really, really good about what we're doing. Uh, We appreciate it, guys. Subscribe to us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, on anything and everything that gives you podcasts these days. We're here for you. We're in it for the long run. And we'll see you next time for episode 25. Go Kings, go!